0: You're listening to The Ripple Affect with your hosts, Cheech and Nippy, a podcast that explores how individual change has the capacity to affect the whole. From neuroscience to donuts, we're two sisters
1: with a deep curiosity for ancient wisdom and modern knowledge, and we're obsessed with learning alongside you because we don't know. (laughs) Let's dive in. Welcome to this week's episode of the Ripple Effect podcast. This is Kiata Cheech, and in today's episode, as a part of our Sofa series, where we interview great minds as a resource for change for you and for my sister and me as hosts, I get to bring on one of the very first people I knew I wanted to interview for the show, one of my trusted spiritual advisors and dear friend, Elizabeth Morton. Elizabeth is a talented multi-hyphenate. She is an actor, writer, and secular chaplain. Her educational background, high school and college, was very focused on the theater, and she's performed on regional and New York City stages as well as on television. Her most recent writing projects include a blog, The Morton Train, I highly recommend it, on Substack, and a short film called Threshold, which we dive more deeply into both of those in this conversation, and many other strong scripts in development. Alongside her creative endeavors, Elizabeth is professionally trained in both interfaith ministry and spiritual direction. In this Sofa series, Liz as I call her because she's a dear friend, it's less like an interview and more like a conversation guided by our mutual interests. It's seriously jam-packed. So we explore change through ritual and ceremony, both secular and spiritual, ways to engage with safety, self-awareness, acceptance, authenticity, presence, and transformation. Oh, and how to trust your inner compass. She describes meliorism, I still don't know how to say it. And how acting has taught us both presence and the art of listening. Being an action versus spiritual bypassing is something we cover tools for emotional processing, holding contradictions, radical self-acceptance, and the naturalness of embracing the unknown. Oh my God, there's so much. You also get an overview of Elizabeth's many services as a secular chaplain, spiritual director, and inner awareness and discernment coach. I truly couldn't be more excited to introduce you to my dear friend, Elizabeth. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here. It's great to be here. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. We just kind of did a little introduction with your bio, but you're many things. You're multifaceted. I know this about you. You are a writer. You're an actor. You're a chaplain. I want to start off the conversation by asking you, like, how do you feel all those things fit together or integrate together? Or are they very separate for you? It's interesting.
2: You know, I think the word vocation has been really important to me in my life, like feeling not just, you know, going to pursue a job of some kind, but sort of following a calling, if you want to call it that, or at least not just a calling, but a passion, a curiosity, something that won't let go there's a gift involved right like a gift that you that you are born with so to trust that that is something also is of your way of contributing to the to the world and so you have a responsibility to that gift i think that's how i've sort of framed my work life more than through the lens of just ambition or career recognizing i had a vocation to acting happened in my teens and recognizing that I had a vocation to ministry slash chaplaincy happened in my 20s. Writing happened in my 30s. So I've just decided to somehow knit them all together and follow each separately in a way, but they do overlap for me. And when that happens, it's it's terrific. I, I actually just shot a short film this summer that I wrote, and it was the first time where in a professional setting, all three were braided together because I- Oh,
1: that's threshold, right? Yeah, threshold. I got the privilege of, of uh, reading an early draft of that. Your subject matter you choose to write about, I think, is very um, timeless and current at the same time and important. Well, yeah. I'm not a fan of trite. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I think I cut you off, though, but- uh, you were saying they came all together in Threshold.
2: Oh, yeah. It all it came all together because, um, well, I wrote it, obviously. And then also I was an actor in it. And and in it, I actually got to play, um, I played a Unitarian minister, which that's not what I am. But anyway, just the fact that I got to be the one doing the ritual
1: that's in the short film. Can you tell people a little bit about what Threshold is about? Because I just loved the subject matter and I kind of talked around it. Sure. Um, over the years,
2: I've officiated about 50 weddings. And so I thought, what would happen if somebody asked me to officiate a divorce? Who would do that? What would that look like? And so that was the impetus behind it. And um, Threshold quite simply is about a lesbian couple in their sixties who've been together for like 35 years, have adult kids, chosen family, the whole nine yards, and they've chosen to lovingly divorce. And so they have a ceremony in their home. And it's met with mixed reactions, shall we say, from their <laughs> friends and family. And so I was the one that that, that officiated this very simple ritual. you know and, and speaking of this theme of change, right, I do believe that sometimes, in the same way that we honor a birthday or uh, have, a, have a baby blessing or memorial service, you know, that other times in our lives, uh, can also be marked with ritual and sometimes need to be marched with marked with ritual. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
2: and some of those are the times of transition.
1: Yeah. Speaking of that, ritual helps us move through transitions. Yes. Like yeah. It and culturally, indigenously, it was relied on to to actually help. An individual shift or a collective, meaning a community shift, like rituals were not just markers of things, but their ceremony too in a process to help help things yeah, transition
2: and transform. Well, it's such a way of honoring life's transitions, right? Is to say, oh, uh, let's, um, a ritual or a ceremony, you know, lifts us out of the ordinary, right? and it puts it puts our attention on the the mystery of life right and and it also is just a way of honoring by naming it by saying this is a transition i am naming that this is happening in your life and i have witnesses and i am lovingly recognizing that this thing is happening i had a friend oh my gosh years ago who, who was going through menopause. And she said, and, and this is a friend who is in no way identifies as a spiritual person in terms like, she, I don't know if she uses the word atheist, but she's right up there with that. <laughs> and she wanted to somehow mark this change in her life. And she asked me to create a ceremony around that. And, and I did, and it was really, I think, powerful for all the women who were, um, there and present. And it was very simple. It can be so simple, you know, but it's just a way of, of naming and framing and honoring, uh, what's happening in someone's life.
1: Yeah. So that you can be more, more present for it, right. And open up what you might actually feel around it. Meaning being able to have space to feel, uh, the complexity of the nature of a transition of a transformation and to be able to own it a little more for yourself i think setting up conscious rituals do provide an agency for for yourself mm-hmm. and you talked about this in your blog and we've talked about this together as well in prior conversations about how the words ritual and ceremony can be hijacked by the religious connotations and separating those out um, is important.
2: Sure. Well, it's interesting. I think one of the reasons I felt <clears throat> curious uh, in my 20s to follow this bizarre calling or whatever it was I was using, how to name it, was in my 20s, I, I studied interfaith ministry for two years because the thing was, I was so curious about spirituality and Also, very aware that most people in my generation, and and certainly my generation of artists and New Yorkers and political lefties and stuff, seemed almost allergic to religion. Like they actually, you know, oftentimes I found that it was a lot easier to come out as a lesbian with these people than to come out as an interfaith minister. I would sometimes say that word and they would bristle, like, oh my God that word, uh, you know, like <laughs> anything religious, anything spiritual, some people, it, they it get they get the willies. They just freak out. And I, so I, I honestly like, I oh, think that's interesting. And at the same time, regardless of any spiritual framework, we have this longing for connection, right? This longing to understand ourselves and our lives and our connection to the all and our feeling of aliveness. And so that... Desire for rituals there, even if you don't belong to, to any kind of religious or spiritual community. And I have officiated so many ceremonies, be they a mayor memorial service or a wedding, where people say, "Please don't use God language. Please don't use spiritual language." And I'm like, "Okay, got it." And yet. It's still a sacred experience for everyone involved because of the intention, because of the love, because of, of the ritual. Yeah. Of just this, let's, let's, we're all coming together. We humans, here we are in a circle and here we are lighting a candle and here we are having an intentional moment and here we are all being present with our phones turned off And love in our
1: hearts and a willingness to witness whatever's happening here. A willingness to witness whatever is happening, I feel like is such a, could be like transformed into a mantra, you know, for life, because that is a helpful tool. And when I started to create private rituals for myself to honor that I required some sacred time and sacred space for myself. And that mm. it was helpful for me to call it a ritual so that my heart and my mind and my gut could get behind what I was wanting to look at, what I had a willingness to witness for myself really provided me a lot of strength to, to change, to look at myself and to Deal with whatever it was I was going through. And to put a little context on that, for instance, I realized that being in water was something really, really alchemizing for me, something that was really safe feeling for me. And so I started to recognize that more often than not, I needed to take a bath and I needed to have whatever came up in that bath time emotionally or mentally uh, and spiritually to be okay for me to look at and and process through. And so to be frank, like I do some weird shit. <laughs> like and it was the freedom to do some weird whatever came through in my own privacy of my own home and and let that be okay was and naming that my ritual did empower me, and it feels old. It feels ancient. It feels connected mm-hmm. to my native roots, but all of ours native roots. Because at some point in another or another, we all came from indigenous people. You know, <laughs> like civilization didn't just snap and become. So there's indigenous of all of our cultures, and those people, our ancestors were we're absolutely partaking with the elements, the elemental forces, fire, earth, you know, air, water to help themselves.
2: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the elements because I think a lot of ritual is tactile for people because it's a way of, you know, we, we sort of exist in our heads so much in our culture, in our society. Right. And so to, to put it into To to light the candle, to have to see that flame, um, to smell that incense, to um, have the campfire or the bath or a a certain um, food we might eat or a certain drink we might eat with intention. It's a way of, you know, delighting our senses and reminding our senses, right? Of saying, oh, this is now this. Like when I light a candle for myself, I it's, it's like a shortcut for me to connect, right? Because it's telling me, oh, okay, now, now it's a time to get a little quiet, you know, and listen a little bit. And then also there's, there's certain, you know, places of, of walking. I consider the act of, of walking. There's a, there's a a specific hike in Los Angeles that I love. And I take long walks in Central Park in New York. And, and then obviously when I'm, you know, in the wilderness or anywhere, really, just taking a long walk too is is a ritual for me, and again, it's getting me into my body, it's getting me uh out of my
1: head what that is such a good point of like the simplicity of it can be anything, like you naming yeah. it a ritual makes it so you naming it a ceremony makes it so, and there's ancient ceremonies, and then there's the new ones that you're going to come up with that are tailored to you that work for you. And it's. I think it's the power of being able to participate with yourself with a certain, like you said, framework of mindset and really body set, right? To set your body up, your emotional body, your spiritual body, your etheric body, your energetic body, right? These to try to com- bring them all together a little bit <laughs> you know cuz for me like i split i get split so often right i'm really in my mental body and not in my emotional body and then i'll if i'm not in my emotional body all of a sudden it like builds up like like a volcano and then it's like oh i got to i got to cry or i got to process these things and just trying to find the balancing act of holistic to to have a holistic body integration i think is challenging in a modern In a modern world.
2: Well, I, I think, but I think that sort of integrated life is what we all want, you know, and we, and we live in a society that's taught us separateness, right? That's taught us we're separate from each other. We're separate from the earth. We're separate from the divine. And also, that were separate um, parts. Like, you know, on Sunday, I is when I do my holy thing for 30 45 minutes and you know, in this building. And then the rest of the time I go to work, and then I have my family, and then I have this. And it's all as opposed to this integration and this interconnectedness, which I think we are all quite aware of and want to experience more in our day-to-day
1: life. You know, I think that's why the Mandalorian top spoke to me so much. It was like, this is the way, you know, like what's, what's the way. And it isn't one size fits all. I think there is a, uh, uh, you have to find your own way to live a, a holistic life. I mean, owning that word in a, in an integrated way of being like a whole self, you know, being able to feel safe enough to be your whole self wherever you go. Absolutely, and also, you know,
2: noticing that whether you call it a spiritual path or not, whether it's just a path of of self understanding, self-awareness, um, alignment, whatever you want to call it that that it that it's involves some work and some understanding of who am I doing this for right so if if my if I'm presenting myself a certain way, In the world that is not actually aligned with who I am, you know, that's an opportunity to reflect and, and shift and say, actually, I, you know, huh, where am I my most authentic self Mm. and how can I be me everywhere I go?
1: Yeah. And what's in the way, lovingly looking at what is in the way of me feeling like I can be, because ultimately it would appear like you can always be yourself but but then why why do i get you know weird around some people or why do i feel not comfortable expressing how i would why do i code switch now, a lot of times i can speak for myself it's survival you know feeling threatened in some way some some whether it's early childhood trauma or just in the moment not feeling adequate enough or not feeling seen you know or not giving myself that not me not witnessing me in the in the way that I need to be witnessed in that moment but there's a lot of things that can contribute to it but i think the importance of seeking that like how do you seek it
2: Absolutely, and also, but but to to recognize how, what precious information that is, right? To to what I mean by that is, you know, hey, I just left that party, and I just feel a little uncomfortable with with how I was presenting myself, or how I was conversing, or I feel like I'm just noticing how insecure I was around that person, and how much I resented that person, and huh, and so being so curious about, like, huh, I wonder what that's about. And that's such an opportunity to, to go within and to unpack that a little bit. And that
1: that can be, oh, my gosh, you can find treasure in there. Oh, yeah. Reflection, self-assessment, and, and checking in. my I can honestly say my life really did start to shift when I, through guidance, through support, and you're one of those supports who helped me to see this, was like, hey, just check in with yourself. I, I use it as a tool now, is where am I at? What am I feeling? How am I feeling? What do I need? You know, that those are not, they sound like simple questions. And maybe for some people, this naturally happens or occurs. But for me, I know my upbringing, I, I wasn't checked in with. Or when I was young, I was told, you know, like, no, what you're feeling is not, you don't feel that. I need you to feel a different way or this isn't the way we do things. So it doesn't come naturally for me to like take a moment and, and pause and say like, wait, how do I really feel about this? Just an orientation to the present moment of what, what, where am I at? And what do I need? Yeah. Well, and I think
2: some people are, that, com- that comes easier to some people than to others, you know? And it's interesting, this wanting to cultivate that in yourself, though, you know, and to realize, oh, this is important. And the more I can sit with this, the better I become at this naming of this sensation or this feeling or this emotion or this memory that comes up. I mean, they say knowledge is power and it's the darn truth. And it's it's like self-knowledge is
1: is huge power. Yeah inner awareness. And that does bring me to kind of a question I wanted to ask you. I have come to you many times for for inner sessions that you offer for spiritual advice. And I feel like what I've always walked away with is a deeper cultivation of my inner awareness. And the power of that has been... So instrumental in me being able to not just change in a way that I, you know, want to be becoming the human I want to be more, but also having a lot more compassion and grace for myself inside of that change. And so I would love to have you share about what it is that you do because <laughs> I've experienced it, but I'd love people to kind of get an introduction to that part of you as a secular chaplain and the services that you kind of offer. And you can start anywhere you want.
2: (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So as I said earlier, you know, I was uh, got ordained as an interfaith minister so long ago and, and right away was, you know, doing ceremonies and all these things over the years. And I was always just sort of curious about where it was leading me. And what started to happen was, it was one on one work with people that really felt like my sweet spot, if you will. And so I decided to get more training in that. And I went to a wonderful training program called Still Point in Los Angeles and did a two year training there on um, the art of spiritual direction, is what it's called. And spiritual direction is an ancient contemplative listening practice. So it's it's been around for centuries and a lot of people have benefited from time with a spiritual director. And it's interesting, you know, the word director is quite um, misunderstood because I'm not, has coming from the theater, <laughs> I'm in no way directing people and like <laughs> bossing them around or anything. But what what happens is, um, as, as with me as a listener, right? I'm, I hold space and do deep listening. It's a deep listening practice, and it's different from therapy because it's not analytical in any way, right? I can attest to that. Yeah, yeah. So with my listening, with an evocative question I might ask, with a simple reframing of what's been shared, the directing part comes as I direct the person's attention. To their own sources of wisdom and guidance, right? So, I I am somebody who's who's like saying, "Oh, let's direct over there," or I'm noticing this when you say this, or, huh, that's interesting. Even even something as simple as I notice that you look down every time you mention your father, or whatever it is. So it's it can just be as simple as a noticing, right? And so in secular terms, I, I call myself an inner awareness coach because I work with atheists too. You know, I, I come at it with no agenda. That's why I call myself a secular chaplain because chaplain, a chaplain is a, is a minister of presence. I really like that um, term. And I think we're all called to be chaplains for one another, right? That's a term that I I a name that I like best um in all the work that I do that's and I use the word secular because I truly have no dogma to share I have no agenda um and you know all faiths welcome all doubts too as on uh, my website says so yeah I offer traditional spiritual direction um and some people come to me for that and I also offer s- soul sessions which is what I call um where there is a little more advising or it's a little looser, it's a little wilder than um, traditional spiritual direction. And then I offer discernment coaching, meaning sometimes people are just in a time of discernment and, and asking a big question about, do I do this? Do I do that? And if I can, you know, help people to uh, understand where their own guidance is leading them. You know, I put I put a lot of trust in my own inner compass, and I, I really do my best to have a loving voice within myself. And I think that's one of the things I help people do is understand and trust their own inner compass and also to grow their capacity for self-love and compassion. Because I got to say, if the inside of our minds could be gentle places, the world would be a gentler place also.
1: I agree with you. I've felt exactly what you're saying as experience. The gentler I am inside myself, the more expansive my life can be, the more productive I am. You know, all of these things that I think society is trying to squeeze out of us from outside in, I feel like that inner inner clarity or inner peace does, and even in the smallest dosages, does really, truly go a very long way in in potency. It's very rich and it does have a lot of affects to it. That brings me to something else I found in your blog that, or I believe it was in your sub stack. Actually, Liz has both a blog on her website you'll find, and we'll put that in the show notes, secularchaplain.com. But also she has a wonderful sub stack called the Morton Train, which you can subscribe to. And it's so good. i genuinely love it. I cleared out my inbox a while ago from all the bullshit that I had subscribed to in terms of newsletters and things that I just hoped I would read one day and never would. And definitely kept the Morton train because I was like, no, 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 When not? When these come in, I in thoroughly enjoy reading these and I get so much value from them. So thank you for that, Liz. And in that, you used the word malore, how do you say it? malorism? Oh, I don't know how to say it. I don't know if I've said it a lot. Millerism? 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 I should have looked it up and figured out how to pronounce it, but it's you use the word Millerism, M E L I O R I S M. And you wrote, is defined as the belief that the world can be made better by human effort. And I just. Obviously, that struck me because this is one of the founding beliefs that this podcast is going on, the hypothesis that we can make things better by making them better for ourselves. And so when you talked about helping people to have an inner voice that's, you know, kinder and more compassionate and and recognizing that that can ripple out and have have this bigger effect i thought that, that that word that i had never heard before was so fitting i definitely believe that the world can be made better by human effort and i recognize not everybody believes that but well that was that was also a word i had never heard which is probably why i don't
2: even know how to say it but i'm going to guess meliorism and when i i was struck by it and i saw the definition and i thought oh Yes, that is a belief I have. And see, that goes back to this power of naming things, right? Oh, I just named a belief I have. You just named a belief you have that we didn't even know we had. And I think to me, the importance of that belief now is, you know, we're, we're coming out of a time where for centuries, I guess, so many people um, made that their God's responsibility, right? That the world can be made better if God allows it. We're waiting for God to do something. We're praying for God to do something. You know, there's this giving up of power in a way of our own personal power and our collective power and our loving power as humans. Right. And so this idea of human effort, you know, I love that. David Orr has a great quote. I'm sure I've used it in my blog because I love it so much. It's, um, he says, hope is a verb with its shirt sleeves rolled up. Right. Right. So that meliorism speaks to that, that as we are actively hoping for a better world, we got our shirt sleeves rolled up and we are helping to make a better world.
1: God, that's such a great concept for this podcast too, because Issa and I talk a lot about this and I'm curious of your thoughts on it, of this idea of magical thinking and spiritual bypassing. And I can think it into existence or I can just um kind of hold a crystal and it will be so and and it gets a little out there and part of me really does recognize the power of those tools like crystals like the power of positive thinking is definitely a psychologically proven thing that can benefit you but then there's the effort and the action alongside of that that i think so many of us have that bias to action where we won't get up and roll the sleeves up and go clean the, the dirt in our own internal landscapes, right? We we won't we we want it to be I I want it to be easier. So it's when I have resistance, I'm like, oh no, I don't I can't do it now because it's it's painful, it's hard, it's uncomfortable, it's whatever it is it's such an important topic. This idea of spiritual
2: bypassing such an important topic. And I think one of the, one of the teachings of the divine feminine for me, which as you know, is very, very important in my life. And, and certainly on the topic of change is this permission to hold contradiction. Right. And so yes, we are co-creators. Yes, we are, um, agents of manifestation in this world. Absolutely. We have powers that we do not even understand. They are so mighty. Absolutely. And we are human and we have subconscious beliefs and we have emotional patterns and we have resentments and we have traumas and we have heartbreaks and we have dysfunctions and challenges and all the, all of it. And we can't pretend that Some of that doesn't exist. Right. And so, you know, I, I, in my spiritual seeking, I remember sitting in seminars, you know, starting 20 years ago when I was really getting conscious about being a student of this. And I remember being in the presence of some spiritual teachers where I, they were to me, radiating rage, just radiating it, but they had a smile on their face Welcome to this moment, and I was like,
1: "Oh man!" For those of you who can't see, Liz <laughs> just put on this crazy cult leader yeah. face.
2: Was <laughs> like, "I am at one with everybody," and it's like, "Oh no, you're not. You got something to deal with." So, yeah. so yes, you. It's important as we recognize intention, and I think, you know. When we are sitting around in our rituals, and yeah, if some people use sacred items or sacred objects that they have declared sacred, like a crystal or whatever it is, and and you have an intention and you're and you're doing some daydreams about something you you really want in your life or a desire or something, well, then the next step is is to notice what's coming up, right? In resistance or a fear or the the belief that can't happen or I'm unworthy of that or blah blah blah. Like, keep going. Don't just let it stop with the daydream. Keep going, and how can I how can I let that go? Ooh, that's something I need to heal in myself. Or, you know, that's what I mean by information
1: from within. Keep
2: excavating,
1: right? Don't stop at the uncomfortable because there is an edge. There's this edge you can walk up with yourself of like I want to feel this way, and I'm gonna stay positive, and I'm gonna hold this. But then if there's a denial happening within you around what is it that you actually feel though? What is, what is the sensations of your body or what, it's those incongruencies that do deserve your attention and compassion. Or I can say for myself, like when I started to pay attention that the whole, again, the holistic way that I felt was both mm-hmm. hopeful and angry. <laughs> <laughs> and the anger when i repressed it like you know cuz it's the un- more uncomfortable of the two yeah would would it doesn't go away then i would just feel shame about the anger and so when i started to get in touch with holding the contradictions and another friend of mine helping me recognize like no 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 that's that's how you're actually feeling is you are angry you know, you're angry that this hasn't come to you. You're angry that this is hard for you. You're angry that you don't have the tools to not be angry right now. And the the second and third levels of that expression that was coming out of me to include that as, oh, that's actually how I feel. It's multi-layered. It's three levels deep but the three levels is actually the building that is me you know not just the first level not just the first floor because then i'm not actually interacting with me i'm interacting with what i want the image of me to be and not actually where i'm at and what's going on in in me and it's okay that there's these multiple layers of, of contradicting or incongruent feelings and thoughts, but that's the whole picture of me. So I get to like be with that because that's the starting point to which I can then start addressing, okay, well, how do I get to the first floor from this deep basement that I'm in? Yeah. But it's like the truth shall set you free. Right. You know, it's like, you gotta, you
2: gotta tell the truth. You gotta be like, even though i really want to be feeling good right now i actually have a lot of sadness in me right now okay
1: okay i'm
2: going to give that attention i'm going to let you know i'm going to honor that
1: honor it you taught me that because it's there's a difference between going into all the emotions and i know for me i experience this where it's like oh i i don't want to be sad because when i'm sad i'm sad you know someone who's really experienced depression and it's like you 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 don't no one willingly goes in to be like a puddle of mush on the floor but the honoring of it that it doesn't necessarily have to overtake or even indulge it but at least again witnessing and honoring it is that honest self-assessment and usually addresses that inner child or inner voice right the inner critic that does, probably needs some attention of some kind, if not compassionate attention. But the ignoring of it is not helpful in my experience. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting thinking about change too, right? Because I think a lot of times when we ignore these, these things, um, instead of giving, honoring them or whatever, is that they can keep us stuck in our lives. Yes. You know? And so if, if you think about emotion as as movement, right, and allowing them to move through. So it's not about keeping that emotion stuck. It's like letting it move
1: out, through and out, you know? Oh, yeah. And that, the, oh, there's so many things I want to go off and ask you about on that. But the one that's coming to me first is you taught me this and you have a, a Morton train sub stack about this, mm. about the gift of and you wrote the gift of and makes room for deeper self-acceptance and greater compassion for others.
2: One of the things I said in that blog too, was that was, you know, going back to my intro here is this, this permission for myself to be not only an actor, because I was an actor in New York city and I'd been a theater major for high school and college. And I was, so was very devoted as an actor and i kept getting called in these other ways i remember i it was like i my inner compass said you know you don't have to be only an actor to be an actor and it was this permission it was this and like oh i could do this and something else and something else and we're very confining if we if we think oh yeah i'm just going to have one job for the rest of my life and you know no 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 some of us are 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 called to to do more than that and the and also helps us to own our contradictions, right? Like I can be, you know, I'm sitting here in this podcast being like, hello, I'm a spiritual advisor, you know, I'm so, (laughs) I'm talking about these very serious subject matters, but I am also can be such a clown, right? I have, (laughs) I have, (laughs) I'm not somebody who thinks spiritual talk has to be all serious and stuff. You know, usually there's a good, good chuckle at any wedding or anything that I Officiate laughter as carbonated holiness, as Anne Lamott says, right. So it's like holding these contradictions in me, of 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 just even in my day to day life, right? Of being a total goofball one minute and then sitting down and and holding space for someone while they ask the deepest questions of their lives in the next moment. I mean, we 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 are
1: all big big enough to hold it all to, to to just you know be at full capacity so well said so well said and important because a big part of this project is not taking ourselves too seriously because it all gets yeah. too rooted in ego in my opinion if we try to do that and we start stop being students we stop feeling like we can learn we start feeling like we have to know everything and and play and fun are wired for us to learn at an accelerated rate. That is proven study after study. And if we can have fun while growing, while in these hard times, meaning where we can find the brevity in our experiences of heaviness, Talk about an and lightness and heaviness at the same time, but I don't know if was ex- anyone else has experienced this. But have you ever been like so crushed by something and just on the floor again as a puddle of mush, and then just kind of like throw your hands up in a gesture of, and start to laugh? Yes, and you're like how can this be any worse? You yeah. know, and and just that that very human um you know you you called them contradictions earlier and i think too it's like when i started naming them contradictions i realized oh these actually aren't contradictory at all i've just labeled them contradictory this is actually just me as my you know full kind of up and down self. And I think that we'll, we as women, a lot of times we'll label ourselves, oh, I'm just crazy. You know, I've said that so many times and I've tried to curb that word for myself because it's not crazy. No, it's normal. <laughs> it's normal. And it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. To have the range of the human experience is normal. Absolutely. And to
2: celebrate the, the range of the human experience. Yeah, of course. Um, that makes me think of uh, in Steel Magnolias, the movie and the play, the Dolly Parton character says, uh, laughing through tears is my favorite emotion. That's Remember it. That? That's what I was talking about. <laughs> right? And so that's sort of that thing bubbling up after the catharsis, right? That that lightness coming only after that that willingness to
1: dig to, uh, something up by the roots. Yes. And catharsis. Thank you for saying that because this is something... That I'm not sure how people in regular life, meaning people who are not actors, understand this because there's all different kinds of acting, but the training of it is requires you to deeply get in touch with different emotional set points within yourself and to not fake it, to not pretend it, but to actually go in and experience sometimes deeply uncomfortable things that are not necessarily your own, but also you have to connect to your own truth inside of those to find the truth of of the script, of the moment. And where I'm going with all of this is that when you said catharsis, I thought immediately to all of the different times when I was able to embrace the deepest rage or the deepest sadness or whatever the emotion is, um, the deepest elation even, excitement through the process of acting and how good it felt to feel that much. And it proved to be a training ground for me to then be able to do that and to be able to not be so scared to do that in life. So when I'm having these, you know, crises of spirit or crises of consciousness or you know mental crises or emotional crises in my life that my body has been trained to be like oh this is okay this discomfort if i go in deeper and feel it more the, there is a catharsis to this that i can trust i will come out on the other end a and b i will feel better for it one of my
2: blogs I wrote was called The Art of Listening because I I feel like my listening practice started in acting class because how many 14-year-olds, like, you know, 15, I'm this very serious theater student and, you know, we're I'm learning how to be in the moment and, and really listening to how somebody is saying a line of dialogue and just really tuning into that. But mainly it's that being in the moment, that you know, you got to be in the moment. You got to be in the moment. That is just a refrain um, as an actor and and listening to the audience. Right. And uh, and so that, that that pursuit of acting, that curiosity about the human experiences, um, there's so many connections to the, to to being a seeker and to the work that I do as a chaplain
1: and as a writer yes right and you talked about in in your blog in that same blog post you talked about when i'm in the moment quote unquote my mind quiets and something other than myself seems to take over and i thought that that was so interesting because it sounds so parallel to a meditative experience or a spiritual experience right and then it comes from an art form because in a way you know Spirituality is an art form. Being Absolutely. being spiritual with yourself, being compassionate with yourself, being on the on the path of seeking or or just being with life is an art form. I do want to talk to you so much about listening. Yeah, it's so powerful. It's so important.
2: It's so important and and you know, really that's basically what I do when I have a session with anyone is deep listening. That's really what I do. And that seems so simple, but it's not because it really is a focused attention. And there's something that happens when the opportunity of being deeply listened to is ultimately an opportunity to listen to yourself in a way that can be profound and surprising, right? So I'm also holding space for people to that other person to listen to themselves and when you're listening without an agenda without an urge to interrupt without you know and to notice also what's my stuff and what's not my stuff right and and to have that place where you know i'm not uncomfortable when emotions come up you know so that that's safe and and offering a place of non-judgment and i guess i guess for me in, in as i am continuing to practice the art of listening i am constantly you know, learning how to continue to cultivate this inner peace and this quiet space within so that when I am holding space for someone else, I can truly, truly give them my undivided attention.
1: Yeah. And I've experienced that to be true of you, meaning when you are present, you open up my permission and myself to be more present and to accept myself Um, when you come forward with me and I can feel it the non-judgment that allows me to give myself permission to not judge me and that is safety that is a step on the road of you know that is a stepping stone towards safety For sure. And safety is such a a foundation of doing spiritual work, quote unquote, right? But really of inner awareness work of change, safety. For me, again, going back to a belief I have, but I believe that safety is a keystone to change. of an individual, of a human, and possibly of a society and, and bigger, I'm not sure. Well, because there's trust
2: there, right? And, um, and also when we talk about safety, like feeling safe inside of myself, I wanna feel safe in here, right? And so as, with me as providing part of, part of my role here too, is to, to be a loving witness for someone, right? So as in a place of non-judgment, if I'm like, I'm also viewing you with the eyes of a loving witness, Therefore, giving you an opportunity to be a loving witness for yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Basically, I want to go line by line through this blog, so people just need to read this blog post. But I'm such a doe. I didn't. I do I didn't write down the name of that blog. What is the name of that specific blog post? It's the art of listening. I think it might have been the first very first one I did. Yes. One of the reasons why it struck me as a part of the resources for this podcast about change is that you wrote, listening requires a willingness to change, a willingness to be changed. And I think that was from- Mark Nepo. Yes. To to listen is to lean in softly with a willingness to be changed by what you hear. And that, I think, is such a- an incredible tool outwardly toward others but when i turned it inward and thought what would that mean that to listen to myself with a willingness Mm. Mm.
0: to change
1: to especially as a recovering perfectionist and someone who has an inner critic a really intense inner critic i should say to not just take that for granted to like, oh, you're so stupid. And then not just to be like, yes, I am so stupid. But to like witness and hear that and change my self-talk and like, oh, why why would I call myself that? Like, is that true? Do I really feel that way? Is that something that I can hear and be willing to come up with a different response to that rather than, yeah, I am so stupid, you know? That feels like a a, a tool. And And again, you wrote it.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, absolutely this this willingness to listen to yourself and I think about the power of of radical self-acceptance which changes us when we are able to really radically self-accept ourselves the way we are exactly the way we are and and even accept where we are in our lives, right? I can't change my geographic location until I accept where I am in this moment, right? Career or personal life or anything is like, I'm accepting that I'm deeply unhappy in this marriage and I'm accepting that that is my truth. And now I can change something. So there's a lot of power in, in recognizing all that's going on inside and a power in acceptance, obviously, but changing one's perception of self, right? I think that's one of the the keys to change that's so important that people don't tell you about is, oh, how you think about yourself is going to change. And you have to have a willingness to
1: have that happen too, right? That's huge. That's, you just said two really important pieces of my toolbox, which is radical, radical self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. The radicalization of it is that It doesn't need to make sense it doesn't need to have any root it just can be it can just i'm a radical i'm just gonna do this and this is just what it's gonna be because when you try to rationalize self-acceptance that's when the inner critic can kick back in that's when the patterning and the traumas can re reinvigorize themselves because it's that like oh yeah i want to accept myself but but i didn't get that thing done but I don't have this amount of money, but I don't have that job, but I'm not where I want to be. But I didn't, I, you know, whatever the but is or the insertion of a reason, that's where you insert the word radical. Cause you're like, well, it's a radical idea, but I'm doing And it. also it's the all of
2: it, right? It's the entirety of self-acceptance as opposed to, okay, I'm going to accept this little part and this little part, but ooh, this, I not like this part, you know, the radicalness of, of it being holistic and integrate it.
1: Yes, yes. And so radical self-acceptance that term to radicalize yourself on behalf of yourself. And then this what was it again? Letting your um perception of self change. Be
2: willing Oh, Be right. willing to let yourself change. There's a good metaphor I have for that and I think I might have even wrote about this in a blog is Sometimes there's butterflies out in the world who still think of themselves as caterpillars, right? That's the human metaphor, right? So even though they've changed, even though they're a completely different being than they were before they went into that cocoon, they're still like, oh, look at me, I'm a caterpillar. And it's like, the world sees you as a a butterfly, but you're still naming yourself and self-identifying as a caterpillar. So it's just an interesting, that's just an interesting metaphor I
1: like Oh no, it's a great one. And thank you because for saving that, because I couldn't pull it out, which was this the power of how we look at ourselves and the transient nature of that, because we can be so strict or rigid with like, no, this is this is how I am, this is how it is, there's no other way that this can be. And then the more we age the more life experience we have we realize we change many times and in many ways and then to have that grace of being like even right now what i what i think about myself how i perceive myself Has that ability to once again shift and be different, and just that idea can open up so much space, so much room, yeah, for change.
2: Absolutely, and we are in the natural world, right? So, I can look out the window right now and see trees that are a little more yellow than they were yesterday. Right. And so it's like, yeah, I got, I got yellow leaves in me and green leaves and everything like that. We are always changing and that that is the natural way of things. Mm -hmm. And so what a relief, right? Oh, I'm just, I'm just participating in the natural way of things by being my changing, ever changing self. Right. But this willingness to let not only me surprise me, but letting life surprise me, you know? Sometimes we go into change and to periods of change where we don't have all the information yet. All I know is I'm driving across, like I did this in 2017, I'm driving across the country. I'm going to live in LA. I don't know how long I met this guy over email and I'm going to sublet maybe for two months in his place. And I don't know. Right now I see, okay, that was a three and a half year episode of my life. Okay. But I didn't know. But that's like, okay, I'm willing to be surprised. All I know is I'm trusting. I am initiating change in my life. I'm feeling pulled in this direction and I'm going to trust it.
1: Yeah. And the what you're talking about is the unknown. Mm-hmm. Being able to embrace the unknown. And I'd love to hear more from you of how you support people yeah. in embracing the unknown. Well, I guess befriending the unknown, right? Feeling safe in the unknown, you know? It's so hard for myself. I can say in the past, I'm much better at it now, and I feel the power of it, but I definitely know a version of myself that was and still is terrified of the unknown in certain areas. It's less familiar. And you wrote about this, you know, it being the less familiar. As we were talking about the power of naming, what happens when you can't name something? How how can you expect yourself to feel safe around something that you can't name? That you can't name. There are so many
2: names for the the divine. And one name I like is um, great mystery, right? So if I was in a session with someone and then was talking about this unknown, this unknown, this unknown. Now, if I were to say, well, what if we called it the great mystery. And if that was part of the universe or the divine or the holy and that you're part of the great mystery and you yourself are a great mystery, that could maybe feel a little, I don't know, maybe a little
1: safer, a little more loving than the unknown. Absolutely, and calling it the mysteries is an ancient word from Greek. From our original, you know, where we draw our roots back to civilization, you know, the Lucian mysteries. The mystery is the name of it. Because the reality is we don't know. We don't know what's gonna fucking happen. We just I don't even know how my arms work.
2: Like I don't understand, (laughs) right? But it's like, (laughs) but it's like but if you, but if the reframe is instead of this unknown where I'm flailing, I'm flailing, I'm not how, you know, or the reframe could be, I'm held by mystery, actually being held by it. I'm held up by it. I can lean into it and I don't have to understand it in my little, my little noggin. It's, it's okay. It's safe to not understand in a logical way. It's safe, safe. Even if I'm not grasping totally what's going on right now in my life
1: yeah to reassure yourself that you are safe when things are right not fully in your control yeah because that is one of the most compounding falsities is that we have control
2: absolutely and that's the power of the of the serenity prayer right help me to understand what i can control what i can't and the wisdom to know the difference right so yeah yeah That's a beautiful question too. And a beautiful prayer.
1: I agree. Oh, I, I love this conversation (laughs) so much. Um, It's just been a joy, 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 joy to get to play like we always do, but now get to record it and share it out into the world with, with all of you listeners. And before I let you go, Oh, we didn't talk about internal family systems Oh, today, but I would love to. I hope that we can schedule another time to do so because that work is incredible. And I would love to do a deep dive with you just about that sure. work if you're open to Absolutely. it. Yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, good. So to let you go, before I let you go, I want to ask you a fun mm-hmm. question, which is what is your – donut of choice. <laughs> we talk about on this podcast, you know, we're going to explore everything from neuroscience to donuts. And Issa has, <laughs> Issa has this really lovely philosophy of like, as a health coach, you know, you want water and of course you need water and good food. And you want, you want water and, and donuts, donuts, right? It's like you get to have the balance. And um, I think that that's helpful. So what is your choice of donut? Okay. Well, here's the thing. I have a dairy
2: and gluten intolerance now, so i if you if you can present to me a dairy free gluten free donut, that will be my choice. But when I could eat all that stuff, the donut I loved was I want the custard in the middle and I want the chocolate on the top. Mm, so That's good what I, want. I mean so I'm good. going pure decadence there.
1: <laughs> oh, I call you Liz. As, as as an endearment term. But Elizabeth Morton, this has been such a wonderful journey with you. I'm so grateful to be able to call you my friend and have you in my corner. And um, we're going to include it in the show notes as well. But can you just tell people where they can find you, where they can book a session with you if they're interested or just to find out more about you and your writing and your ministry and your acting? Sure. Well, uh,
2: secularchaplain.com is the best hub to look. And there is a link to my Morton Train Substack on secularchaplain.com, but my blog is themortentrain.substack.com.
1: Are you on social media? I'm on
2: social media. Instagram, E-L-I-Z-M-O-R-T-2-2. E-Liz Mort-2-2, right? So catchy. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So those are good places to find me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. If you have any questions for Liz, she is open and lovely as you're hearing her now so please do hit her up and hopefully we'll get to hear from you again liz when we go on a deeper maybe tactical dive on internal family systems that would be awesome yeah
0: all to be continued all right thanks clan okay i i think we did it listen i don't know what we did but we did it (laughs) look unattainable ideals are overrated We're way more connected and deserving than society's false sense of separation dictates us to be. You're not just one person. You're enough. Your effort is enough and change is possible. Question the standard that says otherwise, because what if almost is good enough? Just by tuning in, you're part of our clan. Not in a culty way, though. (laughs) We don't know how far this ripple can go, but we're going to keep showing up. And we'll never get to perfection, but we're all going to be okay if we let the process be the solution and we see the value in the attempt. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Ripple Affect.
1: We're looking forward to exploring a different facet of change with you next Tuesday. Same time,
0: same place, next week. For show notes and additional resources, check out our website at rippleeffectpod.com. That's affect with an A. Kiata has worked diligently to make our website interactive. Please visit it so it wasn't all for nothing. <laughs> In all seriousness though, there's a ton of resources there. DM us directly at Ripple Effect Pod on Instagram and let us know what you liked about our show or any of your own ideas. We're really excited to hear from you. We value your feedback because it helps us make the pod better and it's our way of including you in our process.
1: Okay, so ratings aren't the point of why we do this. We really want to make a change in the world. But in the matrix, there are all algorithms so yeah every single review we get helps the ripple go farther to help us out please take two seconds find the ratings and review section on whatever platform you're listening from click five stars wink wink and leave a review we know you're busy so just saying hello or literally hi as the review helps us hack the matrix we sincerely appreciate it If you want to become officially initiated into our clan, again, not in a culty way, hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we're in it with you. Keep questioning. Stay curious. You got this, clan.
0: A special thank you, love, and credit to the magnificent Mia Casasanta for this beautiful music you're listening to right now.